What's good, everybody? I'm John Zastrzemski, host of New York, New York with JJ, the first podcast on The Ringer and Spotify dedicated to you, the New York sports fan. We've got episode three nights a week, plus bonus episodes whenever news breaks. So make sure you follow the show on Spotify. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21+. plus. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. <laughs> he is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Welcome to The Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer, and of course, Spotify is the gang. We are on episode 70. Is that right, fellas? It right. is right. I see both black guys. has become a reality, Jay. Yes, sir. <laughs> we got to 70, baby. Oh, yeah. We all, what is it? Two or three years away from the uh, life expectancy of an average American adult, right? So we got two or three episodes before we croak. I hate to put in those morbid terms, but that's not the case. Um, so, fellas, Jesse Lopez, Chris Tannehill, and of course, the shadowy figure that is known as Steve Cerruti, who isn't on the pod with us, but we appreciate his presence at all times on the group chat and the, all the other ways. My man Cerruti sent me actually a receipt from the L.A. Hotel. And I was like, oh, look at that. That's a whole bunch of room service that I am not paying for. So shout out to Saruti and Spotify and all the good people who allowed me to eat a cheeseburger at 2 a.m. Uh, but Jesse and Chris want to talk to you guys at the top of this pod because you are my true resources when it comes to this subject. So there have been three work stoppages in Major League Baseball in the last 40 years or so. 40, you know, 35, 40 years. This is the second longest one. Now, a strike is different than a lockout. We already understand that. One is, hey, y'all can't work, as opposed to, hey, we ain't going to work. So we understand the, the specificity of the term lockout versus strike. But I want to talk to you guys because 
One, I believe you two are bigger baseball fans than I, and that's not something that I run from. I used to run from it, actually, on terrestrial radio. I used to run from it a lot because I used to feel like, oh, shit, if you don't tell these white people that you like baseball, they're going to get your black ass up out of here. <laughs> and they did. And they did. <laughs> but Maybe that but, was the reason. Uh, for a reason all these years. Maybe yeah, that was the one we, over, we overlooked had, the most. It had nothing to do with Kaepernick. It had nothing to do with Trump. It had nothing to do with the social climate of the time. It was just that Jason goddamn golf didn't like baseball in the middle of July as much as I did. And it's as simple as that. That was the separation between me and the 815. Shout out to all the 815 out there. I'm actually getting ready to marry one of y'all, which, you know, I am infiltrated, by the way. (laughs) Shout out to the doc. But (sighs) tell me if I'm wrong, because Jesse, you are out there on the left coast. Tanny, as I look at you right now, resplendent in your socks cap, which is that a Frank Thomas jersey? Behind you, frame right? No, it is. That, is. Is that Mark Burley on the Wheaties box behind you? You dig? Is that is that is that a Jose Contreras bobblehead I see in the background? Am I wrong on that? Who is the brother I, in the I, background? You know, we got we got TA back here. We got oh. Hawk. We got Fernando Rodney. Listen, oh, yeah. listen, <laughs> and, and listen. If you're not going, if you're not going to be blessed by the arrow slinging God, then what are we really talking about? Shout out to Fernando Rodney and all His Majesty, one of the greatest players in M- MLB history, and, and not of only one Uribe. <laughs> oh well, listen. I have been in many. Aldo's, but the time that I was in the Aldo on Michigan Avenue when Juan Uribe came in there with his two or three kids, his wife and his wife's mama to shut down Aldo and allow me to watch, yeah, Juan Uribe and his magic hands will always be legendary in the city of Chicago. I gotta tell you though, Jay, I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm gonna have to take a lot of this shit down. <laughs> like I said, I don't know if I'll be doing much baseball podcasts in this year. I don't know. I may have to put something else up here. I um, hate to laugh at it. I hate to laugh at it. But centric, man. I truly don't. Hey, you should be worried because they bullshitting right now. And and I'm gonna give it to you, brass tacks. You guys can feel me, and Jesse. Like I said, you out there in Cali. So you got the Dodgers and the Padres and the Angels and all those teams to deal with. Of course, here in the city of Chicago, got the Cubs and the Sox. Life is about rhythm. Life is about routine. And we became used to a rhythm as kids where when the spring started, whenever I heard spring training was rolling around, I knew good weather was coming behind it, right? I knew Tom Pachorik and Hawk Harrelson was getting ready to sing me a 162-game tune. You dig? Whether it be Steve Stone and Harry Carey, Chip Carey and Steve Stone, Steve Stone and whoever else his partner would be, whether it be Lynn Casper, Hawk Harrelson, I knew what the summer meant for me as a kid. Whether I was Joe Carter, Joe Carter in there as well. (laughs) Oh, shout out to Joe Carter for blessing us with the word normality that I still to this day think should be added to the dictionary. You feel me? Shout out to Joe. Right. And his was it him or uh, Mark Malone that called Wrigley Field Wrigley Stadium? <laughs> that was Jeff Gordon, I think. It was Jeff. No, I think Mark Malone did it, too. Shout out to the out of towners who want to. Well, you know. That was the style at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was so before just Wrigley Field was Wrigley Field. Yeah, just, yeah right. Exactly. In the in the 1915s, apparently, Mark Malone was getting a TV job. But no, we, we've gotten so used to the rhythms. Right. And labor strife, labor negotiations, you get warned about it two years out. 
three years out, a year out, months out, the, the postseason before. And then when the team lifts the World Series trophy up in the air, who won the World Series, by the way? Who won it? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Atlanta Braves. Quickly. Yeah, yeah, shout out to the Atlanta. I actually picked the Atlanta Braves and the Chicago White Sox to be in the World Series this year. So I was right, damn it. I was right. I picked the, the Braves to win, too. But I ain't want to say that too loud. You know, here in the city of Chicago, you get murked on the expressway fucking around and doubting the teams outwardly or, you know, in any kind That's of not the reason. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah that, that, that too. That too. I actually told somebody today in the bar, I was like, hey, man, I don't even talk crazy to 10-year-olds because I feel like they got the strap on them. I, hey, young man, I call 10-year-olds young man. <laughs> It'd be a whole baby with a blow pop in his mouth. I'd be like, hey, young man, I don't want no problems. <laughs> I'm just trying to get out this gas station, baby. But... We, we look at the rhythms of life, right? And I got so used to it. And we've all gotten so used to it. And then the strike comes along. And was it 400, 500 some odd games canceled because of it? We're at the point now where we sit here on Sunday night. And what's today's date, fellas? Is it February 27th as we are taping here? 1024 p.m., right? little timestamp for you in case you thought this came out when you're listening to it at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. We're at the point now. We're getting very, very, not just very close. We're about to lose regular season games here. And for White Sox fans, for Cubs fans, hell, for Pirates fans, Royals fans, wherever they may be, as a person who got introduced to baseball later in life, I really didn't get hooked on baseball until I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And I, I deemed that later in life because to me, baseball for young men of my age at the time, was introduced to you by your father, your uncle, a neighbor, whatever the case may be. Well, guess what? I was in a Belizean community in Evanston. My, my dad, you know, when my dad first came to this country, he wasn't watching baseball. He was watching football. Lawrence Taylor was a god, right? He was in New York. He was in the midst of it, right? And, and, and you know, soccer and cycling and all the things that are um, more respected or more well-represented in the country that my parents grew up in, you know, that's what I learned about. But I didn't get baseball handed to me until I ran into the Chicago White Sox around 1990, 1991, 1992, when I got introduced to Wilson Alvarez, Alex Fernandez, Frank Thomas, Jack McDowell, Kirk McCaskill. You know what I mean? You know, like those kind of Craig Grayback, the little hurt. You dig? I mean, those people were the, were the first Gene Lamont. Right. Those were the first introduction. That was my introduction to baseball as a kid. And the reason why living on the north side, I chose the White Sox is because, you know what? Everybody loves the Cubs. This team's got a big hulking brother that is that is swinging from the from the hips and seemingly making contact every time he touches the ball. They got three dudes who are young pitchers who people feel like they could be aces in Wilson Alvarez, Alex Fernandez, and Jack McDowell. They got a cool color scheme. They're on the south side right down the street from my grandmother. This is what I should be into. And right now, all I can think of is that there are 10, 11, and 12-year-olds who are going to miss out on that moment. And in that time, when I was falling in love with baseball because it was new, because it was different, it challenged me, right? I'd always pictured it or put it in this frame of the quote-unquote thinking man's game, which as we look back on it now, like, I, I promise you I could walk up to anybody in the street and ask them what are the nine ways to run a pick and roll. They couldn't tell me, right? But if you could tell me what a hit and run and a double switch is, you must be a goddamn genius, right? Like, these are the things. I came into it with a certain amount of insecurity. I came into it with a certain amount of uh, 
a novice attitude and wanting to learn, right? The same way that I came into hockey as a kid, watching, uh, you know, Michelle Goulet and Steve Larmer and Jeremy Roenick and all, you know, Steve Smith and Chris Chelios and all those dudes back in the day. Like thinking Jeff Hackett, the moment Jeff Hackett is a backup goalie, gets his starting nod out there, he's going to show people. And they actually did too, right? Because he was behind Eddie Belfort for all his years. But when I get introduced to a sport, there's a, there's a special nature of it because you'll never get that moment back. And as I sit here today, and as we're talking about baseball and the way that we're talking about it, and not in the terms of kids getting introduced to it, or us talking about who the next big things are, or that Seattle Mariners team, which I look up and down that roster, I'm like, wait a minute, they got the Kansas City Monarchs out there in Seattle. You know, they, got a, they got a team full of brothers running around out there. Like, it's real shit, right? And a lot of kids aren't going to be introduced to that. A lot of kids aren't going to be able to latch on to some of those spring training stories. And I know you can tug at the heartstrings of the kid's story. But really what I'm saying to you is baseball is fucking killing itself. And for so long, baseball has been the sport that didn't know what it was doing until somebody told them about it. Whether it be the MLB TV contract for years. I was on terrestrial radio here in Chicago and we had to talk about the MLB TV contract with the host that I was working with or the listeners wanted to talk about it because games would be blacked out in areas that were right down the road from the the stadiums as opposed to being in Iowa and the game's not blacked out. Like, baseball has been behind the curve, whether it be with rule changes, whether it be the adaptation to today's culture in terms of athletes and young people, um, whether it be with contract uh, contract structure or uh, revenue sharing or how we look at baseball minor leagues. You can't tell me right now that you wouldn't have more brothers and more people from diverse communities playing baseball if they knew, oh shit, y'all yanking people up after a year and a half, two years? Like there's a lot of people who still think you got to be in the minors for a few years, like the old school. But you mean to tell me you could jump from high school, play a year of minor league ball, and just jump straight to the pros and be a supreme athlete the same way you can in basketball and before you can in football? Oh, yeah. But I don't think baseball's message has gotten out there because the gatekeepers, for one, have guarded it so much that they haven't let their sport blossom and grow the way it's supposed to. And in these moments, the same people who are describing arguing, delegating, or even dictating the terms of this new CBA, if you zoom out, you'll see that you're doing the same things that baseball has always done. You're being behind the curve, so much so that not just the digital age, but hell, the analog age that might be following you right now is going to fall out of favor with you. It's a time where, one, we're still in COVID, but people are moving around like we've bounced back or on the other side of COVID. Let me tell you something right now. If these restrictions go the way that they seemingly are going throughout the country, you're not going to have people in the house on, uh, you know, a random Tuesday, Wednesday evening to come watch a baseball game. No, we out here trying to enjoy the life that the last two years haven't allowed us to enjoy. That going into right now, a war as a world You don't want to sit and watch the TV all day. You want to enjoy the times that you may have. Baseball has found a way to miss out on secular moments, on on 
sport shifting moments that I don't understand and will never understand. The same way I don't understand that some of the consternation over the Hall of Fame, where it's like, ah, oh, we got to make this person wait because they're not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Or, you know what? The rules of the game can't change. You can't mess around and take a DH out or lower the mound or raise the mound or, you know, change the distance from the mound. Let me tell you something right now. There's a reason why football thrives in this country. Football either gives the people what they want every single year or tweaks them a little bit so they have something to bitch about until the next year comes. Football is America's pastime because they change with the times. They evolve with the times. When football thought y'all didn't you know, enjoy the celebrations by these brash-ass you know, young millionaires, they knocked that shit off. And then when they heard you say, oh, man, the game isn't as fun, they brought it back. How many changes of the rules, uh, how many changes of baseball rules have, have actually happened in the last 40 years? Twice? Once? So the same reasons why baseball may be fighting for people when it eventually does come back is the same reasons before the strike. Baseball needs to understand the atmosphere, needs to check the temperature and read the room whether it be digitally and understanding the consumption of their athletes and trying to take it from that hockey stage of, guess what? We actually applaud when the players have some kind of personality, which they're starting to get into. And shout out to Jose Bautista's bat toss. What was it, five, six years ago now? It seems like ancient times now, but shout out to that moment. That was a seminal moment in the growth and, and trajectory of baseball with young consumers. And right now, what baseball is doing is killing itself. It's going backwards because all the cool shit that we want to talk about. I actually heard Tanny talking about it on his show the other day here in the city where, you know, people are talking about pitch velocity coming out the hand, not just when it reaches the catcher's mitt. Like there's so many cool things that happen in the sport of baseball. Talk about it with my man Clinton Yates from ESPN all the time. You know, he and I have had hour-long discussions about the routine greatness of baseball and how TV doesn't catch it. And how the sport may seem trivial or boring to some or taking too long. But when you really break down and watch how routinely a double play is turned these days. I mean, the shit that Ozzie Smith used to do back in the day is routine now. Ray Ordonia has turned that in routine, into routine, right? Like the guys now, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the Lindors of the world. Right. Like the, the, the dudes who are playing second and shortstop nowadays are the supreme athletes in any sport. But replay doesn't really accentuate it or the game doesn't really accentuate it like it should. The high points in baseball that aren't brought out a, a lot more by other media, not just baseball media, by people who are. not I always ask this. Who's watching your sport? Because when they're watching your sport, they get introduced to characters and players and personalities that they've never been introduced to before. When it comes to basketball, you know that LeBron is damn near the face of sports. You know that Tom Brady is damn near the face of sports. There's no reason. There's no reason why Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, some of these young dudes, and not just young dudes, but some of these established veterans with personality shouldn't just be the face of baseball, but the face of sports. And I think baseball has done such a good job and sometimes a poor job at holding itself so true to the game and the nature of the game and the, 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 the vibes of the game, the unwritten rules and all this other bullshit that they've carried that into now, not just these negotiations, but how they feel that people will bounce back from these negotiations. Man, people didn't come back from the strike 
until about, what, two, three years after that. What you think is going to happen now with COVID going on? And maybe, maybe for the first time in two summers, people who have been locked up in the house for two years getting a chance to breathe with no pun intended fresh air. Baseball right now is doing what it's always done to itself. It's thinking it's bigger than what everybody else has got going on. And I fear, I fear with the way that these labor negotiations are going and how some of the reporting has been disseminated, I fear that baseball is going to run into the same thing that it ran into last time. The only thing is people are going to be happy to get back outside. We'll just find out if they're happy to get back outside to watch baseball. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Bulls Talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. Flies in with a two-handed slam dunk. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Let me tell you something, Zach. I apologize. I have been chasing around an 11-year-old Shih Tzu for the last three and a half minutes. Uh, He has been mad elusive. So I'm sorry for making you wait. I will never... Uh, be mad at anyone for spending time with their dog. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm not spending time with this asshole. <laughs> he, he's, he's my favorite little guy, but he's a jerk. He's a jerk. He's, he's one of my favorite jerks in the entire world, you know, along with my guys, Jesse Lopez and, of course, Chris Tannehill. How you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you? Oh, uh, you know, I can't complain. I can't complain. We're already recording, so we're already, we're already uh, 30 seconds knee-deep into this thing, whatever we're doing here. I actually... I it's it's crazy because I'm still a weirdo in this sense that like little things still make me uh, excited uh, in this business. So when I jumped into the pregame presser for last game, every time I do it, I scroll to see who else is on there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, it's my man, Zach Cram. And it's it, it still I still have to like connect with the fact that you're not just national media, but you're also here. You know, so when I saw your face, I'm like, oh, one of us. He's on here along Colleagues. with Joe Cowley. Yeah, exactly. Along with Joe Cowley and all the other people uh, who we love to hear ask Bulls questions to uh, one Billy Donovan. So let's 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 start this thing the way we need to start it, man. I am in a weird way right now because having covered this team and also having been a fan of this team, you know, you you drop your fan fandom off, and and it's so crazy because anytime I run into people you know, on the street or in the internet streets where they're like, oh man, either you should be rooting for the Bulls or why are you so hard on the Bulls? It's never anywhere in the middle, but 
I find myself in the middle quite often because of how I grew up in fandom and also how I was raised in this business at like 19, 20 years old to be as objective as I possibly can. So where I find myself right now with the Bulls is asking the question of what should I believe in? What do I believe in? And having seen championship runs, and of course, the 90s NBA is a different NBA than the 2020s, the 2010s NBA, right? But understanding what, what's necessary in a series when you're not going to see Orlando or Charlotte, you know, or shout out to those teams, but, you know, right <laughs> now we ain't got to refer to y'all in any highest theme, but you're not going to see those teams, right? You're not going to see those teams on a Wednesday and all of a sudden see the Miami Heat on a Friday. I'm trying to figure out right now as a Bulls fan and also someone who covers this team professionally, what should I believe in and what's going what's gonna to translate to the playoffs? And we know defense is one of those things where the defensive teams that we respect during the regular season usually are the defensive teams that carry that respect going into the playoffs. So right now, where are you with how you feel about the Bulls defense with all the pieces that they are missing, but also understanding that some of the guys that are playing right now are going to have to play some defense when Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball come back as well. Like, how... How sure are you about the flaw that everyone is talking about regarding this Bulls team right now? Well, I think the first thing is you're going to get a test of that over the next month because there aren't many Orlandos and Charlottes left on the schedule. Right. Chicago has the hardest remaining schedule in the league by by my calculations, which means they're going to get a lot of these playoff tests they've already started to with Atlanta the other night, Memphis on Saturday. And I think they have reasons to be encouraged. Io has been a revelation. I think he's number one on the defensive end. Tristan Thompson has really made an impact in his first couple games with the team, sort of solidifying that backup big man spot. But I think you kind of still are just waiting to see if Caruso comes back, when Lonzo comes back, if Patrick Williams can bring anything. Because if Caruso and Lonzo don't come back and they're not healthy, the Bulls aren't going to win the Eastern Conference. That's just like fact number one. So I think that's the prerequisite. You need them to come back. And then that's where your question is, what about all these other pieces? And I think that's where kind of the fringe players, the the rotation players who probably won't be starting in the playoffs, like Io, like Tristan Thompson, like Patrick Williams, if he comes back, are important right now to see how they develop against Trey Young and John Morant. We saw Io over the weekend. Great defense on Trey. He cannot slow down John Morant. And basically, nobody can slow down John Morant right now. Right. <laughs> but I, I'm really curious to see how Io responds because he hasn't had that many problems thus far in his rookie season. But you saw the other night, Billy Donovan wasn't even closing with him. He was closing with Kobe White instead because Io wasn't having a good, good game. So how will he respond this week playing a bunch of other good teams still? Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, watching, man, it, it stirred up a lot of stuff in me because I got a chance to cover Derrick Rose before the knee injuries and then after the knee injuries. And, you know, it's it's one of the... And, and all the other stuff surrounding it, I'm talking about purely professionally, it's one of the sadder things that I've had to witness and observe uh, from a professional standpoint where you think something is headed towards a certain trajectory and injury kind of undercuts it. Watching John Morant come into the United Center and score 46 points and not, I won't say break a sweat doing it because he, he did some pretty fantastic shit while doing it, but watching him do that, I, I asked myself, in those moments where you're going to need somebody to play above an offensive structure or play above somebody playing outstanding defense against you. DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are going to have to look at certain situations going forward like, okay, yeah, the knee, the back, the thumb for Zach, 
Those no, Nobody cares about those things when you have to play above a defense. DeMar DeRozan, as you've seen over the last three or four games, people are getting told, hey, don't bite on that pump fake. Now, if he gets you on a step through, you tip your cap and keep it moving. Like, do you see something happening right now in terms of a counterpunch by the NBA or, okay, after the All-Star break scouting coming into play? Or is it just two games where some people are just catching up on certain things and covering certain things differently schematically? I think it's just a couple games. And even while he's struggling to shoot, DeMar's still getting 30, 35 every night. I think that's actually where Chicago has a potential advantage in the playoffs. I think of NBA offenses kind of on a spectrum. On one end, there's like, remember the the Mike Boonholzer era Hawks that ran roughshod through the regular season, but then in the playoffs when teams could prepare for the offensive system, all of a sudden it was, hey, they don't actually have any stars where if the offense breaks down and there are five seconds left on the shot clock, they don't really have anyone who can go get a bucket. Whereas the Bulls have two of those guys. And if Levine is hot, if DeRozan's hot from the mid-range like he has been all season, they can stay alive in any series. And like none of the other Eastern teams, even Philadelphia really only has two guys you trust at the end of a shot clock like that. Milwaukee, two or three guys at the end of the shot clock like that. And those are the best teams in the East. Miami, only a couple guys at the end of a shot clock. So Chicago has the scoring to stay alive with them, even if the offense breaks down, even if the other teams are game planning. The question is, can they then slow the, uh, you know, slow the Jimmy Butlers and Joel Embiid's and James Harden's on the other end? So, it's funny that you mentioned Mike Budenholzer because I was, I moved down to Atlanta and did the night show for a startup for 92.9 The Game, CBS station down there. And uh, when Mike Budenholzer got the job down there, it was when I moved down there and our very first coaches show got postponed because as you go back and Google it out there, ladies and gentlemen, but when Mike got the job, there was some other things going on and he had to, he had to kind of, <laughs> yeah, he had to kind of be put on ice for a little bit, but I watched that whole Mike Budenholzer era and now it's so crazy to watch him get questioned while being a Milwaukee Bucks head coach and thinking that, okay, the only fatal flaw maybe on that team might be him. I want to talk to you about the Bulls coach and Billy Donovan. Um, Because I'm going to ask him this, hopefully next time I get a chance to jump in on one of these pregame pressers, but the drop defense and how they're covering the pick and roll. Teams obviously know that if you can get past, if you can get past where the first defender is, if that defender gets Velcroed onto a screen, and Io has done a great job this year of not being that guy. But there's a couple other guys who kind of get stuck to screens. If somebody gets stuck to a screen, you know that the bigs are going to retreat instead of engaging, whatever, if that may be schematically or if that's a personal choice, whether it be by, you know, Nikola Vucevic and now Tristan Thompson. I, I want to know from you what you're seeing, not only from the Bulls defense, but what Billy Donovan can kind of do to make sure that until uh, Lonzo Ball, until Alex Caruso get back, you know, having those bigs push up a little bit. And I don't want to coach the team for them, but the thing that keeps haunting this team is that paint play because you see 60 points in the paint. You think, oh, which big man went off for 45? It's not that at all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's two guards going off for 20 and a big going off for 15 and a backup big going off for five. So I think Billy Donovan is a really interesting coach in that he doesn't have a distinct style. Like Budenholzer has a distinct style. Billy Donovan kind of, approaches his game plan every season to what personnel he has on hand. Think about his career in Oklahoma City, right? His first season, he had Kevin Durant. Then Durant left, and he kind of built his offense around what Russell Westbrook, who won MVP. Then he had Westbrook and Paul George. That was a good team in the regular season that failed in the playoffs. Then Westbrook left, and he had that one great season with Chris Paul and, uh, and Dennis Schroeder and 
the three-guard lineup there. And that three-guard lineup was really good and kind of unique in the NBA that year. Now he's in Chicago and building a completely new team around the personnel he has. So I give him a lot of credit for suiting his strategy to his personnel. But I'll ask you, if you have Vucevic as your big man, can he push higher on the perimeters? Is he too slow to make that kind of defense really work? So this, anytime I see this, I think about Wendell. I think about Wendell Carter Jr. and what we saw when bigs before Vooch were guarding that pick and roll and how Billy Donovan kind of had to take inventory of what he had. I think he's taken enough inventory of what he has in Vooch, but I also I think there's something there where he can't lose Vooch offensively for getting beat because he's pressing so high and hedging so high on some of these pick and rolls. And maybe I'm you know, digging too deep in the psychology of the game. Yeah, we all understand his uh, his agility might be in question, obviously, when we're talking about covering some of the best athletes in sports, which is the lead guard in the NBA who's penetrating and who's attacking and engaging you on a pick-and-roll situation. But to see him drop as many times as he does, and I have this conversation with all of my coworkers at NBC Sports Chicago during the pregame, during the halftime, during the postgame, about who's actually implementing this defense is it that Vooch is doing this or Tony Bradley is doing this and now Tristan Thompson is doing this or is this Billy Donovan saying hey I understand your strengths and weaknesses and I understand that we just need to keep guards out of the paint and not get velcro to screens it's it's kind of that weirdness that we're you're watching it so closely as a fan and also as a as an observer that you're wondering who is responsible for all-world athletes getting to the paint and, and being able to create the way that they have. And I think the other problem that the Bulls have is he doesn't really have the flexibility to, to try a small ball lineup because they don't even really have a four in the first place, right? DeRozan's playing four, let alone somebody who can step up and play five. I think of like what the Clippers did in the playoffs last year when Zubac just wasn't working against that particular matchup. So Tyron Lue said, okay, we're going to play five quote unquote small players, but those small players still included Paul George and Morris and guys who can play up against the toughest competition. I don't really think the Bulls had that. Maybe if Patrick Williams had been healthy, he could have been that guy to step in. But like Derek Jones Jr. is technically what, like six foot five. He certainly plays bigger. He has About a bigger a wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't really yeah. see him banging down low in the playoffs. So maybe Tristan Thompson brings that flexibility. Obviously, he's more of a traditional big man, but he is more mobile and rangy and he's looked good so far. So maybe Donovan leans a bit more in that direction. I know he said uh, pregame the other night, I think to a, a question you asked that he doesn't really envision Thompson playing with Vucevic together. The which, double big lineup. Yeah. And then in that very game, they rolled out Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams and bust your ass on the boards and also got all the second chance opportunities they wanted. And there was a few times where Javante Green was asked to stick Steven Adams or Jaron Jackson Jr. Which Didn't really work so well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, throw that double, double big lineup out there against them. You got two bigs now and you've gone small with... Derek Jones Jr. or somebody else at the five, like you've done that for two, three minute stretches before. You can always revert back to it. Why not throw the double bigs out there? But that's why I'm very curious to see what role Thompson plays with this team if against certain matchups, he just plays in crunch time. If, if you know, Vooch hadn't come in 
at the end of the game the other night, I wouldn't have been shocked because Thompson was playing well. I think Donovan explained it afterwards saying, you know, Thompson had been playing a lot. He didn't know if he could extend himself further the, for the last few minutes of the game. But against some of these point guards, like, you know, if they play Atlanta uh, again this week, I'm curious to see if Thompson just stays in to help guard against Trey Young or depending on the opponent. I think that potential variation could help because thus far this season, Vooch has kind of been the only option back there. Yeah. My main man, Zach Cram from The Ringer, joining us here on the Full Gold Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer. And of course, Spotify. You can read all of Zach's stuff at TheRinger.com. We love him. We appreciate him. And he is like one of the few uh, two-time guests on this pod. So <laughs> it either means that he's got absolutely nothing to do or he likes hanging out with us. Or a combination of both. Combination of both? It. Could be. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about, Zach. I got the cover for you. Don't worry. I'm going to cover for you at all times. I'm going to make it look like your schedule is popping and you just, you know, had to jump on with us. because Totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. You were forced to by Dollar Bill. You know, everybody around the pod universe here at The Ringer wants you on, but we got you. So I appreciate that. Uh, Zach's back. How much do you think Zach right now is fighting some of these injuries? Because I don't think he looks like himself. Uh, it's not like he doesn't look like an all-star in moments or Zach Levine in moments, but there are moments where you can I can tell he's hitting that turbo button on the joystick. Totally. And I wonder, they don't have that many back-to-backs remaining. I think they have one uh, toward the end of March against Toronto and Milwaukee, and, uh, another at the end of March against New York and Washington. I could see him sitting some of those, and Donovan has talked about that. And definitely, if they were in the position of some of these Western Conference teams where there are like three, four games separating teams in the standings, I could see him kind of taking a step back a bit. But the two factors that are kind of forcing him onto the quarter. One, all the other injuries. They have Lonzo out. They have Caruso out. They have Williams out. Can't leave DeMar by himself. And number two is just every game is so important now because the Eastern standings are so congested that every game really does matter. And if Levine sits against, you know, Miami this week, that matters in the race for the one seed. If he sits against Milwaukee, that matters in the race uh, for a potential seeding. So he's like he's still scoring well. He shot efficiently against Memphis the other night. And I think you can tell it's affecting him on certain plays, but he's still getting his numbers. And as long as that's happening, I think he's still going to play. So I need to ask you about this, this, uh, the situation that we have here in Chicago where DeMar DeRozan is getting the MVP chance at the UC national people are jumping on the bandwagon now right? People are watching Bulls games. We're watching to see what this team is or actually isn't. DeMar DeRozan, and I hate to be the the negative Nancy, you know, I hate to be the person that's raining on anybody's parade, but I've said it over the last, you know, week or week and a half, maybe two weeks worth of podcast that this usage for DeMar and hell, Zach as well, having to come and save the day in the fourth quarter, maybe against teams that are playoff teams and the same way against teams that are, you know, play-in teams. I, I'm worried that it might catch up in the postseason. We've talked about this from a national perspective with James Harden before, but since James Harden's game is so easy to hate and he is a guy that's easy to dislike if you want to dislike him, we don't take that into effect. Well, Zach Levine hasn't been there before. DeMar DeRozan has been there before, but we've never seen him perform like this, even in Toronto. I'm not even talking about San Antonio, DeMar. Are you worried at all about the usage 
not only for Zach, who's already injured, but DeMar DeRozan, who's been relatively healthy, but you know after 60-some-odd games and this amount of usage over the last two weeks or so with Zach in and out of the lineup, are you worried at all, or you, do you think that at some point this is going to correct itself before you get into the playoff picture? So I think on the one hand, like DeRozan is obviously in fantastic shape. He takes great care of himself. He looks great. He doesn't seem to be tiring at all. So that is one advantage he has that he hasn't showed any evidence of fatigue yet. But I do think you're right that this is kind of a hidden problem with injuries throughout the season is it forces players to play more minutes. DeRozan is up to 35.8 minutes per game. In today's NBA, that is a heavy workload because that's that's 35.8 minutes of heavy ball handling and a lot of moving around screens on defense. And even if he doesn't guard the best player on the other team, they're attacking him. So that is a big workload. And over the next 20 games, like we've been talking about, they have a really hard schedule. There aren't going to be many easy reprieves over the next month leading into the playoffs. So that is a concern because if you think if they had Lonzo and they had Caruso and they had Williams, that would just lift the burden throughout the season and make it easier for him in the playoffs. You see the same thing happening with other teams throughout the NBA. It's not necessarily the first injury that sinks you. Chicago is still in second place, but it's the cumulative effect over the course of a season. And we won't know what matters until the playoffs begins, but he's eighth right now in minutes per game in the league, and he hasn't missed that much time because of COVID or injury or anything. So in terms of total minutes, he's even higher, and that is potentially a concern if he's still putting on 36, 38 minutes a night over the next month. All right, before we move on to playoff matchups and all those other things, how special is John Morant, man? Like, I know it's blasphemy. And I know over the last three weeks or so, there have been a lot of little graphics. NBC Sports Chicago actually threw one up there. I saw that. <laughs> bra- bra- bravely so. Bravely. And listen, Zach, I mean, you can, you can go back and do, the, do your Googles. Like, I, Bulls fans have been mad at me before about some of the things and some of the, some of the um, projections I've made about 2010, 2011, those teams and Derrick Rose. John Morant getting a lot of comparisons to Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose... Change the game, literally. Like, CBA-wise, people get paid differently because of Derrick Rose. If you are an early contributor, if you are an early earner, if you are an early productive player in your NBA career, you will get paid earlier because of Derrick Rose. Um, The dude still hasn't found his outside deadly touch yet. He's still a streaky enough shooter from outside and doing what he's doing. John Morant is on a level that, you know, I don't like comparing guys because at this point, guys play in different eras from year to year. It seems like it's a different era every year. And Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose, I remember when they were, you know, in the in the early stages of their career, people were, are these the most two athletic point guards we've ever seen? And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of Russell Westbrooks and Derrick Rose <laughs> were birthed athletically. But none of them had the flair, the vision, the toughness, the ability to score, um, the leadership ability. And also the the charisma that he plays with. There's a certain art that John Morant plays with that I could truly appreciate. And I hope Bulls fans can too. You know, like the Kobe, the Kobe people out there in LA, they get Kobe comparisons and immediately it's like that player will never be Kobe. In this sense, as a Derrick Rose fan, as a Bulls fan, seeing John Morant doing what he's doing at the point guard position as a young player, lifting a team to the heights that he's lifted them to, I think not only that those comparisons are apt, I think they're welcomed, and I think they're um, they're appropriate because of how special a talent that we're watching right now. 
I have, I'll respond with a story and a stat. My story is I, I was on a press row uh, against during the Grizzlies game on Saturday night. And we're, you know, a, a stuffy, objective bunch. We don't generally react to things. When he made that 360 layup, a bunch of each other were looking around like, did you see that? Is that actually what happened? Looking at replays. Oh, he actually did do what we thought he did, the 360 layup. So that's the story. And here's the stat, which I think summarizes Morant sort of better than anything else this season. Right now, he is making 5.1 shots per game in the restricted section. No other guard is at five. No other guard is even at four. Yeah, I was about to say, I was about to say three might be the highest, right? Yeah. Second place among guards is Russell Westbrook at 3.9. Ja is all the way up at 5.1. Like crazy. up with the big men in the league in terms of shots made at the basket. You just can't keep him away from the rim. Nah, he's, he's nasty. And on top of it, he's already been knocked out of the air. Like usually in the first couple of year, years, somebody's going to knock your ass out of the sky. Like Dwight Howard was assigned with that task with Derek early in his career and knocked him out of the sky a couple of times and, and you know, hurt him in game but didn't hurt him long term. But John Morant is um, it's a special talent, and I enjoy watching him play basketball, even if it's against the team that I root for. Uh, I was asked about the eventual playoff matchups and looking at 1 through 10, not knowing where the Bulls are going to fall and we all know the NBA playoffs now are more like boxing matchups than they've ever been. Like back in the day, we'd be like, all right, one versus eight, eight's going to get sweeped up out of here, right? Two versus seven, it might be, might be close, but they might win one game. Three versus six, going to be close to four versus five, da-da-da-da. But now the matchups are so meaningful that if you've gone up against a team who you got big man depth issues and they got a couple of bigs that can either pick and pop or go to the offensive boards and clean you up. You can get up out of here, even if you're a two seed or a three seed. Right now, which team that is in the top eight would you say, yeah, that's the team that I would like the Bulls to see if I'm a Bulls fan, and that's the team that I would like to stay away from? So I think the Bulls would want, actually right now, the 2-7 matchup against Toronto. Nothing against Toronto. I think they have a lot of really fun players. But when you talk about the ability to score in a tight playoff matchup, I think the Bulls would have the two best in that series in DeRozan and Levine. Toronto has a great defense. They have all these six foot eight rangy wings interchangeable, but they struggle to score in the half court. So I think combine that with the Bulls defensive limitations. And that's probably the team you want to play the most, especially if someone like Lonzo or Crusoe is back to stick on Fred Van Vliet. I would love to see Toronto of the available options if I were Chicago. I think the team I'd want to avoid, like, I don't know how likely it is, but Philadelphia, just because who's going to stop Embiid? I think the real interesting thing about the East this year is normally if you get a one or two seed, you're like, we're in great position. We'll get an easy matchup in the first round. Brooklyn's waiting, potentially, in the 7 or 8 seed, depending on how the plan shakes out. And Milwaukee could end up in the 5-6 range. Like, if Chicago falls to 3, and you have to face Giannis and the defending champs in the first round, that's just, like, a miserable potential end to what a fun season. And I don't really know who on Chicago guards Giannis in that series. So I think there are a lot of landmines. Even, like, Boston right now, I think, could be the most fun matchup. Because that's Boston, the one. Yeah. Boston, with their defense, they have five awesome defenders. So to see like Tatum and Brown up against Rosen and Levine, and you have Marcus Smart and Lonzo and Caruso being menaces in the backcourt, that would be an incredibly fun matchup, I think. A lot of chess between Udoka and, and Billy Donovan. That's, I think, if, if they end up in like the 4-5-3-6, that would be maybe the most interesting strategically. I think that's going to be the one. I think the 3-6 is the one where 
because uh, I know what the Celtics have been doing. They've been kicking the shit out of everybody the last week and a half or so. But like you mentioned, they've got a bunch of defenders. They got two people who can score. And if that's the case, if you got a healthy Lonzo, a healthy Alex, Kobe being put in his real role, right? And and Ayo being put in his real role, Zach and DeMar hopefully getting help because of the depth that is surrounding them. Yeah, I, I like my chances against the Celtics. The Raptors, they they're like they're just it's just too fighty and too gritty and too dumb to not know that they're not supposed to be in shit. You know what I mean? Like, they're the ones that crash the party. Definitely not a team you want to play because yeah, yeah. <laughs> they will make your life miserable for 48 minutes every other night. And on top of it, they're going to make your fucking life miserable because it's going to be the NBA TV series. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, you know, Toronto gets relegated. All right, we got first round Toronto series. All right, you're going to be on NBA TV hanging out for a little bit. You ain't really going to get that shine like you're supposed to. So, Zach, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for uh, giving us some time tonight and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next pregame presser, brother. Until next time. Yes, sir. It's the full go, This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. What up, world? It's Vic Spencer, and you're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. All right, Bulls fans. We've been having a, a constant conversation about not only this team, but what the expectations should be. And I wanted to start this segment with just a reminder. Appreciate what you got in the East right now. Because for years... As an Eastern Conference fan, right, of the Bulls and watching these playoffs, of course, you watch the West, too, because the West for many, many years has been the, the best show in town. But as an Eastern Conference fan on the come up, as a kid, knowing that you was going to see Derek McKee, Mark Jackson, the Davis brothers and Reggie Miller, Rick Smiths and all those boys in Indiana, then you're going to have to deal with New York with Mace Right. And Ewing and Charlie Ward or Greg Anthony, John Starks, all those dudes. Or you was going to have to maybe bump into a Washington Bullets team, not just the Wizards, a Washington Bullets team with a young Chris Webber, Juwan Howard, Rasheed Wallace and Rod Strickland. Like as a young fan, the Eastern Conference was the shit. And then the Eastern Conference just was shitty for a long time. And it's come I don't say full circle because then it would be back to being shitty and then I would sound like all the other athletes who say uh, make a 360-degree turn when they really mean a 180-degree turn. But if you take a look at it, all those draft picks, all that movement, they've come to fruition. The Eastern Conference right now, and, and fellas, you could throw this up there in the chat for me, but the Eastern Conference standings, if I'm not mistaken, you've got five or six teams separated by four or five games. 
the Eastern Conference is the shit right now. And I know Bulls fans are trying to figure out which matchup is best. Which matchup do I, I want to avoid if I'm the Bulls? Just take a, take a time out to understand the East that the Bulls are playing in and the East that the Bulls are leading right now. Like, this, this conference is exactly what you would hope that it would have been when LeBron was on the top of his game, right? For all the Jordan fans out there who was like, oh, LeBron just ran through a, 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 you know, a bad East. Well, guess what, man? This is the East that you were probably hoping for so that you can get that proof that you needed. Right now, as we're taping, the Miami Heat are 40 and 21. They're leading the East. The Bulls got 39 wins. The 76ers, after a trade, after not having their second best player the entire year, have 37 wins. The Cavaliers, you know, they, they messed around and said, hey, we're going to play three seven-footers in major rotational minutes in our top six or seven in the rotation and get out here and beat your ass and play defense. They got 36 wins. The defending champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, also have 36 wins. The Boston Celtics went on a tear. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown remember who they were, and the rest of the team started playing more defense. All of a sudden, they've been, what, was they one eight of the last 10? The Raptors, tough-ass team that even after Kawhi left, Nick Nurse has always instituted a certain culture and a certain presence that you know you were going to get a tough go, even if they didn't have the talent. And oh, by the way, sitting in that eighth spot, are the Brooklyn goddamn Nets. Like, this is Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and now Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and of course, Ben Simmons. <laughs> Your guy. You're, we were just talking about with Vinny. <laughs> hey, hey, Tanny, Tanny, let me tell you something, bro. Like, there are a few entertainers, athletes, people that I've ever put all my shit on, like, hey, man. Don't let me down. <laughs> like, hey, if the Bulls play the Nets in the first and second round, I, of course, I'm a Bulls fan. I'll be rooting for the Bulls. But I'm like, hey, Ben, you better give me a triple-double in this loss because I've been, I've been, you know, pause. I've been riding your tail for a long time now. Like, you know, I've been riding with you through all the mental health stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you, Ben. So don't come out here and give me a triple-single in, in, in game seven, you know? But this is what the East is presenting right now. And it just so happens that the Bulls are at the very top of this thing. So when we talk about what the Bulls don't have or how hurt they are or, you know, whatever they're doing schematically with that drop defense that Kendall Gill abhors on a nightly basis, if you watch the pre and post game show here in Chicago, like this, this is what we're watching right now. So please, please understand this Eastern Conference ain't no joke right now. Their team's topped up. I mean, the team that was in the Eastern Conference finals, right? Right now is it was what tenth in the East. The Atlanta Hawks at twenty nine and thirty one, was legitimately the same team that they had last year. Same coach, you know, that they went on a run with last year. So just to, just to keep some some spatial inventory of what the Eastern Conference is right now, it ain't no joke. And the Bulls banged up and hurt. And with COVID and all the other stuff that they've had to go through, through the what? The first 61 games of this season? Yeah, they've hung tough. They won seven in the last 10. And after the last loss, because you'll look at it and say, though, oh, the Bulls are three and 10 against the upper echelon. I believe it's top five or six records in the game right now. Bulls are three and 10 against those teams. That's, that's, that's fine if you want to point that out. I got no problem with it. I ain't even going to give you the injuries excuse. You play who you play when you can play who you're playing with. And that's what they've done. 
If you ain't got Lonzo, you ain't got Alex Caruso, fine. They went out there with Derrick Jones and starting four, I believe starting, yeah, starting four against the Lakers and the Clippers early on in the season and beat both those teams on the on the LA run. So if I gave him credit for that, then I can't uh, you know, you know, give him an excuse, I guess, <laughs> when it comes to them losing with those players against upper echelon teams. Uh, but I truly appreciate the fight in this team. And no, I'm not out here being a homer because y'all hear it on the broadcast. Y'all hear it on this podcast. I talk about what what ails this team. I talk about what I think will keep this team from being eventually a championship uh, caliber squad. Like, I think right now this team is a team that makes it to the second round, maybe struggles a little bit in that second round, whatever that matchup is, because obviously the teams get better as you go forward. Uh, would love to see this team in the Eastern Conference Finals, but right now there's there's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of injuries, and we haven't seen this team with its full starting lineup since, what, January? You know, late December? I mean, even before that with Patrick Williams being hurt in the first five games of the season. So they've, they've had their full starting lineup, I believe, for six games that they went into this season with. But with no excuses being made, I, I'm appreciative of how good the East is as a Bulls fan and as a, as a basketball fan. Because when we look at it, all the defensive woes, all the deficiencies, all the inadequacies, whatever you want to call them, this team is still sitting pretty in a position without most of their manpower. Right? The Lonzo Balls, the Alice Caruso's of the world, right? Derrick Jones Jr., if he wasn't completely necessary, I don't think he'd even be playing right now with that bum hand. So the, the, the fact that Billy must be doing a phenomenal job, and also these players are bought in in a different way. Talk a lot about DeMar DeRozan and his leadership. Talk a lot about Zach Levine and what he's become. These dudes are made with something else. Now, I still need them to be a lot nastier than they've been in some of these games, but these guys have a special kind of vibe and a special kind of glow and understand the East that they're playing in right now and, and give some credit where credit is due. Yeah, I'm not happy about the 110, 112, 115 points that they seemingly give up on the regular, but also know what they're without and also know that there are very few games, if any, over this last month and a half where they've been particularly banged up that you've been like, ah, this just ain't they not because the moment you do that, all of a sudden, you look up with two minutes left, and it's a six or seven point ball game, which you know they're going to narrow that gap and close that gap because of who they have closing out games in DeMar DeRozan. So, the job that Billy have, has done, the job that these players have done while banged up and hurt, while making no excuses, I commend them. I tip my cap to them. Also, Vooch's ankle issue going into this Miami game should scare you because Nikola Vucevic is getting put in those pick and roll situations where he is not faring well. And we see it. We watch it. We try to figure out who's employing the drop defense, whether it be he or Billy Donovan. John Morant is going to do that to a lot of people, but he consistently did it against the Bulls because that is the blueprint now. Get Nikola Vucevic in a pick-and-roll situation. See if he's going to commit. See if he's going to hedge. See if he's going to show hard. And if he starts to drop, if you've got a, a guard that can penetrate. And this is the other thing, too, Bulls fans. The Bulls don't have a guard who does this. So I don't even, I mean, they're practicing against it, obviously, but Lonzo Ball isn't a pick-and-roll point guard where he's picking and, and putting pressure where he's engaging the big man. And for all intents and purposes, Ayodesumu is a rookie who's trying to do that, but he doesn't know the nuances, tricks of the trade, and the coverages and scouting that other players who have had experiential differences in this league have. So, yeah, the Bulls are playing without a guard who, one, 
can kind of show them their weaknesses and practices outside of the film, but also when you get into the game, actually applying that defense. The Bulls don't have that guard. So they're playing a totally different ball game than a lot of these teams are playing. And on top of it, John Morant is everything that a lot of Bulls fans who don't want to mention the the number one who, you know, will not be mentioned in this in this segment. Uh, but I'll mention him. Derrick Rose. A lot of people are bristling at that Derrick Rose, John Morant comparison. You can bristle all you want. And I'm not going to call Ja Derrick. I'm not going to call Derrick Ja. I just know special talents at that position. When you see him, the numbers are identical, if not favoring Ja. If Ja can get his team to the number one overall seed a couple of years in a row, win an MVP, change the CBA, well, then we can have that conversation. But I think we can have it now. Ja Morant is special. He's not just special. He is top five, top six in the game special. There's a lot of guys who are foundationally special where you're like, okay, we can win 50 games because he's on the team. He's the best player. And there's certain guys that you're going to win a championship with. And that's one of those guys that I'd be willing to bet on. And I'm not willing to bet on a lot of dudes, right? We've watched James Harden's career go by 10, 11 years now. Dude's a phenomenal player. Led the league in scoring a couple of times. Believe led in the league in assists a couple of times. Hasn't sniffed a championship yet. We'll see what happens this year with Philadelphia. But you can be a phenomenal player and still not be able to get to that level where we're regarding you as not just a star, a superstar, but one of the best in the game. I think John Morant's got that in his future. And you saw all of it on display the other night against the Chicago Bulls. So him scoring 46, yeah, it's, you know, it shouldn't happen, right? <laughs> he should get his 30, 27, his average, whatever, and push him on his way. But yeah, all those comparisons that are being made to Derrick Rose, they're warranted. They're warranted. And I think Bulls fans, if you're really being true to yourself and understanding and, and, and being um, honest with the game that you know and love, you've, you've seen talent like that before. And it's okay to acknowledge what it is right now. But as far as the Bulls are concerned, the Vooch ankle issue, it, uh, it worries me. And we'll see if Tristan Thompson will be closing out some of these games when Vooch is struggling offensively. But John Moran is the real deal. You went up against a buzzsaw in the Memphis Grizzlies who might be a little bit tougher than you are at this moment because you're injured and because you've got guys who are playing injured. But this is what you're going to see in the playoffs. And that 3-10 and 10 record is very real. So Bulls fans, there's reason for trepidation. But I also would ask you to zoom out at the same time and see that the East that they're playing in right now is very, very real. And they're at the top of that East. So it's a mixed bag. And as you're waiting for guys to get healthy, I'd say what I said about a month and a half or so ago. Enjoy this while you can, because you never know what the next turn will be. The Full Goal with Jason Goff. That's all the time we have for episode 70 of The Full Goal. We will return Tuesday night after the Bulls face another tough test later on tonight when they travel to Miami and face the Miami Heat. We'll break it all down and look ahead to another matchup with the Atlanta Hawks. Plus, maybe, just maybe, We'll have some news on what we hope to be the end of the MLB lockout. Don't forget, you can hit us up on the Full Go voicemail line at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. We'd like to say thank you to our guest, the great Zach Cram. You can read all of his stuff right here on The Ringer. Our producers, the shadowy figure known as Steve Cerruti. Of course, the always active Jesse Lopez and my main man, Chris Tannehill. For the fellas, I'm Jason Goff. Thank you for downloading, subscribing, rating and reviewing, listening, sharing, whatever you're doing with this pod. I truly appreciate it. We truly appreciate it. And we leave you with this. As always, take care of each other. And remember, please, please be safe out there. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 